Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the harbor. I'm glad y'all are here tonight. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Heather and I serve on our student ministry team here. Um, we are continuing our series called I Am. And this has been a series where we have been looking at the statements that Jesus made in the book of John about himself and what they reveal to us about him. And so tonight's I Am statement is from one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus ever performed while he was here on this earth. And it's found in John 11 when Jesus says that I am the resurrection and the life. So before we jump into what uh, God's word has to say about this, we're going to pray really quick. Father, I thank you for these students that are here tonight. God, I pray that you would just help us to take this next little bit of time to um, set aside the distractions, to not worry about our phones, the people next to us. God, that we would just um, focus in on the truth that your word presents. God, may um, it just impact us through not my words, but Lord, what you have to say through your word. God, just use me as your mouthpiece. May everything I say um, be holy and completely from you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. So I don't know about y'all, but I am a pretty big, like, movie TV person. Like, really love them. If I really like it, I can watch it on repeat over and over and over again. Like, it does not faze me. Like, I saw Beauty and the Beast, like, seven or eight times in the movie theaters. Like, I'm just one of those people. I am. I know it's weird. Um, but there is one genre that, like, I cannot do. Like, y'all are probably going to call me a wimp. I don't even care. Like, I cannot do scary stuff. I just can't. For those of you that are like, oh, I watch them like at night by myself, alone in the dark. Y'all are crazy. Like, I can't do it. I can't. It freaks me out. Um, but I do like like the criminal kind of shows like NCIS, Psych, like different stuff like that. Like, those are my shows. Like, I love them. Um, so I had a friend recommend, they were like, hey, just give Criminal Minds a try. And I was like, okay, like, I trust your recommendations. You haven't let me down before. I'm going to give it a shot. So this show has a little bit more like suspense than I normally like, um, but I went for it. I, I gave it a try. Um, I was watching it one day last year. It was my day off. I was home just chilling, watching. And uh, one of the episodes that I just watched was one of those episodes where it's like somebody like sneaks into the house and ends up like killing the person that's in there. So just know that's, that's in the back of my mind about uh, what I've been thinking on, like all these different scenarios of like people sneaking in my house, like trying to kill me. Um, but I kid you not, like just after I had watched this episode, I'm chilling. All of a sudden, I hear this very loud sound outside of my house. And I go, I look out the window, and there is a guy that has put a ladder up against my house, like right outside my bedroom window, and is climbing up the ladder. Like I instantly like, remember, I just watched this episode where like people have gotten like killed in their own house. So I like bolt to my guest bedroom and I'm like, okay, deep breath, what do we do? And so I like get up the courage, you know, I just like army crawl over into like my bedroom to like get a, get a better like look around my bedroom door. Um, and sure enough, like this guy was literally chilling like right outside my window, like, like making very loud sound. And I was like, this is it, I'm gonna die. Um, but as I like got closer, I realized that the guy was actually just fixing the siding on my neighbor's house. Now I live in a townhouse, so um, we like share a wall. So he was literally using my house to 
um, just fix my neighbor's house. So lesson learned. Um, after that, I had to take a break from Criminal Minds because I was like, Heather, that was extra. Like, there was no need for that. Um, so needless to say, I haven't actually watched that show again since. Um, but when it comes to this word resurrection, I think a lot of times, like, TV and movies tend to, like, influence us when we hear that word. You know, a lot of times I think people hear resurrection and they think of this, like, zombie apocalypse where people are, like, half dead, crawling out of graves and, like, walking around all creepy-like. Um, but that is not the picture that is presented here um, when God talks about the resurrection and the life. And so for some of you that have grown up in church, like, you, you're familiar with how this um, story plays out. But if Jesus calls himself the resurrection and the life, is that only because, like, he raised himself from the dead? Or is there more to the story here? And if there's more to the story, then what does that actually mean for us? And so we're going to jump into the story of a man named Lazarus. And that's found in John 11. So for those of you that were at the retreat, Lazarus is actually the brother of Mary and Martha. We talked about them our last night there. Um, Mary and Martha were the two sisters that Martha was super busy serving Jesus. And Mary was the one that said, like, I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus and I'm going to learn from him. And Jesus says that Mary was the one that chose the better thing. And so this is um, their brother. So Lazarus, he becomes sick. And the sisters, they send a message to Jesus. Like they just have a really tight-knit, close relationship with the Lord. And so they just send Jesus a message and they simply say, the one that you love is sick. Like that's it. That's all their message said. And so Jesus, he has a very interesting response here that he tells the messenger. And he says, send word back to them that this illness does not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus, he's sending this message back. Um, but when you look at the story, he actually waits two more days before he leaves to go see Lazarus. And when you look at the timeline and when you know the timeline, um, Lazarus was dead by the time Jesus got there. Turns out that Lazarus had actually died the same day that the messenger was on their way to deliver news to Jesus. So Lazarus was dead by the time Jesus got word. But Jesus already knew that. Jesus already knew that Lazarus had died. So it's a very odd statement that Jesus makes when he says that this isn't going to end in death, when it actually seems like it kind of already has. And so when this messenger gets back to discover that Lazarus is dead, how would this message come across to those two sisters that are grieving the loss of their brother, that has, he's already been dead for four days? And so really quick before we jump into the story, I just want to pause for a second because in verse 4 that we just read, when it says that this isn't going to end in death, it also says, and it was for the glory of God so that Jesus might be glorified through it. There are going to be hard situations and things that we face in life that we do not understand. And oftentimes when that happens, we want to know the why behind it. God, why am I going through this? Why did you put me through this? What's the reason behind it? And we get so fixated on this question of why, thinking that if we just know the answer to that question, then everything else, like, will be good to go. Like, we can get through the rest if we can just understand the why. But the reality is, is that rarely in those moments of hard seasons do we ever understand the why. Sometimes when we're looking back, we can understand it, but rarely in the moment do we ever do. And sometimes we never know the answer. Sometimes those answers never come. But in this passage, we see clearly that what's about to happen and take place is solely for the glory of God. 
So when it comes to the hard seasons and the things that we face, it just makes me like this question come to my mind of in the hard seasons that we face, is my aim to actually glorify the Lord in it? Is my hope that um, God will use me as an instrument for his glory? Because I can bet a lot of times that's not where our head is. Our head is, why God? Why me? Why did you put me through this? When in reality is God is trying to do something incredible and amazing and we get to be a part of it. And just understand that because I know that this is not like a um, something that we want to hear, and I know it can be kind of hard to hear sometimes, but your comfort is not his priority. That the glory of the Father is what's important. Now, do not mistake that for saying, like, don't hear me say that he doesn't care about you because that's not true. We're going to see that a little later on in this passage. That God's love is not this, like, pampering, like catering type of love that's like, oh, let me put you in a bubble so nothing bad happens to you. It is this refining, it is this perfecting love. Um, the fact that, that he loves us and that we love him, that does not mean that we are going to be sheltered um, from the problems and the pains that this world brings. Um, but he uses those things to mold us and shape us and do incredible things for his glory. So um, are we going to be those people like we're going to see in Martha here in just a second, that we trust in the character of God, that we let him do what he sees best, even when, um, you know, despite the way things might feel or despite the way things might seem in the moment, we're called to live by faith, not by what we see in front of us. And so we're going to jump in in, Mark, or in John 11, uh, verses 19. It says, Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. So a lot of the Jews, they had shown up to support Mary and Martha um, in their time of grief. And so a large crowd was gathered around. Um, so that means that there was going to be a large crowd present for what Jesus was about to do. So Martha, she runs to meet Jesus. She finds him. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, if you had been here. It's likely that these two sisters have said these words over and over again over the past four days. If only Jesus had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. If only the messenger had maybe gotten to Jesus sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. If only and a lot of times we play out these scenarios in our heads of if only. How often do we see, say the same thing about God? Thinking that our plan is better, that somehow that God must have missed the memo or that there was a mistake that was made when he didn't show up on our timetable. And so while we look at Mary or Martha and we see this tone of disappointment, um, there's also evidence of faith that we see. That this disappointment didn't break her relationship with the Lord. And often there are times when we have those hard seasons in our life when that's the temptation, that, oh, God didn't show up, so I'm done. And it's really easy for us to want to turn and go to other things that we think are going to be what works for us. But we don't see that with Martha. In verse 23, it says, Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. 
So Jesus looks at her and he says, Lazarus will rise again. This was a very common like doctrinal belief for the Jewish people that um, on the last day when Jesus returns, that those that believe like their bodies would be raised, like they understood this. And so Martha, she agrees. She says, yes, like, Lord, I believe this is going to be true, that when, that when the Messiah returns um, again, that, that the bodies will be raised. And so Martha, she was looking towards the future. And Jesus, he doesn't deny anything about that to be true. He, he doesn't deny that that's going to happen. But then Jesus something, and he takes this, this doctrine that they believe about the resurrection, he takes it out of the future, out of this, like, thought that, that doesn't have anything to do with, it's just this far off distant thought, and he then pulls it into the present. And he takes this doctrine and he puts it into the person of himself. We're, we are saved by a person. We are not saved by doctrine. Um, Jesus, he doesn't just merely say that, that he's going to bring the resurrection or that he will be the cause of the re- resurrection, which are both true. But he says something much more stronger, much more profound. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection from the dead and this genuine eternal life in fellowship with God, they're so closely tied to the person of Jesus that they are embodied in him, that they are found in relationship with him. When we get to the end of our life, guys, tomorrow is never promised. I've had several conversations with students um, that have lost loved ones. Tomorrow is never promised to us. But when we get to the, to the end of our life, like we're going to want a personal savior. We're not going to want just words that are written in a book. And so Jesus does this thing where he takes this far off distant hope of like, yeah, like that's good for me one day. And he pulls it into the present. And he says, no, it's good for you today. And so because of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope for the future and we have hope for today. And when we look at this hope that he gives us for the future, yes, like he didn't deny what Martha had said. We see a couple of things here. One, we see that there is hope in the future for eternal life. That um, in the coming weeks, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this. But um, Jesus is our source of eternal life. He is the source of life. That through Jesus, we have this hope of heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, it tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when we as believers, when we die, we are instantly in the presence of God. Instantly in the joy of heaven and all that awaits. And so that, that is a hope that we have for the future. The second hope that we have for the future is that he's coming again. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. The resurrection is going to take place in the future. That as believers, that our body and our soul will be reunited. They will be um, rejoined and restored. And we will have this new and glorified body. Like that's, a, that's something that scripture teaches us. So that is a hope that is coming that in the future, like we have the hope of heaven. We have this hope um, that awaits us. But what does this actually mean for us today? Like, yeah, that's something that like, if you're a believer, we hope for and we have, and that's like kind of out there, but it, how does it affect us today? There's a couple of things that by Jesus being the resurrection and the life does for us today. The first thing is that by Jesus being the resurrection and the life, that we don't have to have this fear of death. There's a, t- a lot of times like we fear the unknown. And when it comes to death, like there's a lot of questions 
Like, how am I going to die? When am I going to die? What's the, what's the life after this look like? And so there's a lot of questions that circle around this, and there's a lot of unknowns about this. But we as believers, we have this hope. There's a verse in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 that says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. This is one of the coolest verses to me because the enemy, like we just sang about it, what the enemy meant for evil, he turned it for good. Death was the very thing that the enemy, that the devil used as an instrument to keep us captive, to live in this fear of death. But then Jesus came to the earth and actually used the very thing that was meant to keep us captive and used it to set us free. It's through his death that we have freedom. And so because of Jesus, we, we don't have to live um, with this, this fear of this unknown because we know how the story ends. We know what awaits us on the other side. The next thing that, that Jesus being the resu- resurrection and the life gives us today is that there's hope and grief. There have been several of you that I know have lost loved ones that it's a hard and painful process to walk through. We just recently had a, a couple of students in our student ministry that lost their dad. But as believers, we have hope in the midst of one of the most difficult times of our life. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, meaning those that have passed away, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. When we grieve as somebody that has um, passed away that is a believer, and we um, also believe like we have a hope that we are going to see them again, that when they pass away, it is not a final goodbye, that while we miss them so selfishly here on this earth, that they are in a much better place. And the reality is, is that eternity is a lot longer than the time spent here on earth. So we have a hope of, of seeing them again in eternity. And so when we grieve, yes, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to be a painful process, but we don't grieve without hope, this hope that we're never going to see these people again. Because if they believe in Jesus and all that he did, and we believe the same thing, guys, we're going to see them again in eternity. And the last thing that, that this brings us when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, is that there is a resurrection power that is still actively working today, that we get to catch a glimpse of it. That when we talk about the resurrection power, like, it it is mind-blowing. Yes, there's the creation power where God at the very beginning in Genesis, he literally spoke creation into existence, where he created something out of nothing. But with the resurrection power of Jesus, we see where he literally takes something that is dead, that is lifeless, that is at its end, and he gives it new life. Like, that's incredible to me. But one of the hardest things to do, like, I can sit here and I can, like, mold Plato and, like, create something, but I can't bring anything back to life. Like, I don't have that power. But we see that today. Um, and he has this ability to take us that are enslaved, that are dead in our sins, that are, in tra- that are trapped um, by sin, and he gives us new life. That that resurrection power is still something that is active and working today. And through that, we have hope that our friends that don't know the Lord, like he's still actively working to bring um, new life to those that don't know him. And so how does the story end? Jesus, he says all this to Martha. She runs back um, and she grabs her sister Mary and they quickly go to find Jesus and the, 
people that were with Mary, they run out after her thinking that she's going to go cry at um, the tomb of Lazarus. And so they follow behind her. And it tells us that as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laying against it. Remove the stone, he said. Martha, Lazarus' sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. We see here where Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He raised Lazarus from the dead that he brought this, this future hope and he pulled it into the present, that he made it a reality. And so along the way in this story, we catch a glimpse of the heart of Jesus leading up to this incredible miracle that he, de- that he did. Death was never meant to be a part of this original creation, the original plan that God had intended when he created this world, but it's a result of sin when it entered the world. And we see in verses 33 and 38 that he says that it, he was deeply moved. And it's this picture of just this resentment, of this anger, of this indignation. But what is he so angry at? He's not angry at Lazarus. He's not angry at the people around him. What he was deeply moved by, what troubled him, and when he begins to show this expression, it's against death. That death has entered the world because of sin, and it, it infuriates him because it has caused pain for those that he loves. It was a righteous anger, and it's this anger that springs out of his compassion for you, that he hates with a righteous anger all that comes after us, all that plagues us, sin, death, all of these things, they, they make him angry. And so these emotions that we see out of Jesus, it says that Jesus um, wept. This is revealing his humanity to us. His compassion and his anger, they fit together. They rise and flow together. That a compassionless Jesus couldn't have gotten angry at everything that he saw around him, at all the injustice around him. It's because of his compassion that he felt this anger. And so in the story, we see God's heart of compassion for you um, and that the anger burns in him all because of the brokenness, sin, and death in this world. But when he says that I am the resurrection and the life, he's giving us hope not only for the future and what's to come, but he's also giving us hope for the present because he is stating and declaring that he is the conqueror, that he has victory over death and sin, that he has defeated it. And so Jesus, we see where, you know, nowhere in the story did he, um, panic or get caught off guard, off guard by what's happening, that Jesus knows the outcome. And so um, we get to live with this hope 
that it's not just this far off distant thing that one day in the future, like, yes, we get heaven, but we get a glimpse of it right now. Um, so we're going to go into our community groups and we are going to discuss this a little bit more. But I'm going to pray before we go. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the hope that he brings. God, that um, it's not just this hope of heaven that we have, but God, that he, he pulled it into the present, that he made it a reality for us now. God, that we can lean into Jesus in these hard and difficult circumstances and seasons, God, because he has defeated sin, he's defeated death, and he is the conqueror. Um, Lord, I thank you for just the heart of compassion that we see in Jesus, God, that, that the things that um, are wrong and broken in this world, this injustice, that God, that it, that it, it angers you, but God, um, it, it moves, God, it, through your heart of compassion, God, you do something about it. And you did that by sending your son for us. So God, I pray that you would just be with these students as we go in our community groups, just help our discussion to be um, just focused on you and honor and glorifying to you. And it's my prayer, amen.